The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. It's awesome, man. It's going to be a, a fun night. Really, really encouraging. Hope you enjoyed the sunshine today. <laughs> Let's all just get really depressed and go home, okay? Um, it's just, It's depressing. It's depressing what happens. Like, we, you know, we got to this point in the story, and from here on, man, it's like, oh, my gosh, what in the world? And I'm just constantly reminded of how few people finish strong. And, brothers, I would say let's just commit to finish our lives strong for crying out loud, man. Like, could we just imagine standing before Jesus and hearing him say, you got it done, well done, I'm proud of you. Like, just imagine that, and it's worth everything else that you give up in this life. It's like, it's worth everything else that you fight for. To think about that, to picture that, to imagine that, to, to imagine standing before God and hearing him say, well done. And that's my goal. Like, like I, I was talking to a, 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 a guy today, a friend who's here before the, the veterans lunch and, and breakout and Man, it's a friend of mine named Ellie Hewitt, and he said, I pray for you every day. I'm like, man, like you couldn't, literally, I'm not kidding. You couldn't hand me a million dollars, and it mean more to me than that. That's where I'm at in life. I mean, I would appreciate if you handed me a million dollars. I would spend the heck out of that money. <laughs> I'd buy some land. Buy, but, but literally, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, if you know somebody is literally going before the throne of God on your behalf, there's value in that that nothing in this world provides. And, but I told Ellie, like, I'm at a point in my life where the only thing, really the only thing I care about is finishing strong, seeing my kids walking with Jesus. The apostle John wrote, like, there's no greater joy than that. See my kids walk with the Lord, all five of them. And my little man, Moses, a lot of y'all know, I'm getting, I'm finna dunk that little sucker because he made a profession of faith in Jesus. And I used to be in the deal where like if a kid gets saved, makes a profession of faith, let's wait and give it time and we'll baptize them when we know they mean it. Nope. For obedience and baptism, if he's going to follow Jesus, you're going under. And I'm a violently aggressive baptizer. I will tell you that because I believe John the Baptist did it right, you know, and uh, like, like, so I want to see him walking with the Lord. I want to finish strong. I want to love Jesus. I want to recognize his goodness in my life. And I don't care about much else. Personal holiness and then everything else will take care of itself. But somehow we get distracted and men get distracted. So let me, I'm going to, this is going to be half as long as the other sermons. Just because it's been a long event. People have got to be tired. And tomorrow morning is going to be, Rob's going to preach on Psalm, out of Psalm 51 on what repentance looks like. But I wanna, I'm not going to go through the David and Bathsheba story in detail because most everybody probably knows it. And if you don't, you can go read it. And I would encourage you to do that. It's in 2 Samuel um, verse, uh, chapters 11 and 12. Um, but, but I want to quick, quick connect where we ended this morning with where the, the Bathsheba incident uh, picks up. Where we ended this morning, God has made this covenant promise to David. And then over, and that's in chapter 7. In chapter 8, that covenant promise starts to be fulfilled. Remember we said some aspects will be fulfilled in this life, and then some aspects are a future promise. So God's making this covenant. I'm going to establish this kingdom. And in chapter 8, David goes to war with, with the few remaining outlying 
um, tribes and cities and city-states and, and, and people, and he makes them vassal states. So you've got the borderland of Israel and then these vassal states around them that pay tribute to David. And David is at a place in his life where he is wealthy, he is secure, and he is on solid ground. Then you get to chapter 9, and, uh, and, and uh, David shows kindness to Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson. We touched on that last night. And so you're still seeing like this merciful side of David. And then we get to chapter 10, and one of those neighboring tribes, the king dies, one of those vassal states, the king dies. And when the king dies, his son, uh, a group of people basically rebel against David and Israel, and it, and, it, and it sets off a war. It touches off another war. And it's a war that's being fought over a highway, like a transit highway for trade routes which is real common in the ancient world and is common today. Like they're, so they're trying to control those trade routes. And so that war is the war that sets up the story of David and Bathsheba. So David has gone from a place of comfort and peace and security to now we're at war again, and that's where the story picks up. And I just want to read the, the first couple of verses, because uh, the first few verses, because I think everybody's familiar with the story. It says, Second uh, Samuel 11, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all the Israelites, and David ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. So this is Operation Rabbah. They go down there, they're like, like, but, and, and they're, they're doing what they need to do. They're taking care of business. They're smashing the Ammonites. I mean, they're, they're crushing them. But David remained at Jerusalem. And if, and if you've studied this story, that's the glaring sentence, right? What's he doing? He's at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof in the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. This wasn't the first time David had this issue. Go back to chapter 5, and right in the middle of all this cool stuff happening, in, in 2 Samuel 5, 13, it says, and when David got from Hebron, we, we talked about this last night, he goes from Hebron to Jerusalem to establish the center place of worship, he increases his wives and concubines. So he's got an issue, and it's an issue that he doesn't deal with. And it's, it's an issue that he already had before this happened but what we find is that sometimes when we have issues in our lives but we're we're like there are periods of grace and seasons of grace but then but when those issues aren't dealt with they like they'll deal with you and so recognizing sin in my life recognizing patterns and 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 like sort of um trajectories and consistent patterns of weakness or it's critical that i identify those and david doesn't do that so, so let me walk through. I'm gonna, again, read the story. Bottom line is this. David commits adultery, and to cover it up, um, he, he goes to great lengths. And so I'm going to bullet point through the next few minutes here, give you the highlights of the story, and then I'm going to give you a list of lessons that we learned from David that we can put to work in our own lives. Super, it's always hard to preach a really familiar story and bring it in a fresh way where maybe men might be challenged. So I'm not going to work through the story. I want to talk about some principles that we can pull from it. So David's probably late 40s, early 30s. It's real common for dudes in that phase of life to start to deal with some, some issues, some insecurity issues or some recognizing the gravity of life. You start to, when you get into your late 40s, you start to recognize the frailty of life. You start to recognize your own um, uh, mortality. 
You start to think about things that you don't think about when you're 20. If you can think about some of this stuff when you're 20, then it'll put you on a better trajectory. Or when you're 15, like it'll put you on a better trajectory. So he's probably late 40s or 50s. And he's had just enough time to grow comfortable in the peace the Lord has provided for him. The men are off to war. David's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's the bottom line. He's, he's, been, he's, on this, he's been on this pattern, this trajectory of like, you know, increasing his wives and his concubines. And Deuteronomy 17 is the passage in the Old Testament where God said, hey, when, when a king comes to power in Israel, he's to be like one wife. Okay, that's going to make you different. from Every pagan king built harems, you know. And so he's like, we're going to be different. This is one way we're going to be different. So, so there was a pattern in David's life that he did not recognize or that he recognized and chose not to do anything about at this point. And the result was that he turned from the Lord at this point in his life. We watched this dude in his savage life of grace, and he turns from the Lord. He was no longer in a constant threat of death. He was no longer in a constant state of war. Even the war that they're faced with was a war that was very, that would have been quickly winnable for the Israelites. He was so comfortable. And this is when the fall most often comes, when there is complete security. Thomas Jefferson, you will have heard this quote in a letter to one of John Adams' sons or sons-in-law, I think it was son-in-law, um, in 1787. So this is a decade after the war for, or, or, or half a decade after the war for American independence has come to an end. And he's talking about some, some things going on in our, like in our country and some, and some things going on in Europe. And he, and he made this famous quote in the middle of that letter, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. You're probably familiar with that quote. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. What he's recognizing is war tunes up a society. War brings focus to a military. War brings an awareness of the brokenness of the world and the potential insecurity and instability that could be a reality for us. But what David has done is he's gotten to a place where he doesn't have that threat anymore. He's not afraid anymore. He's comfortable. And so he commits adultery. He murders I don't know, a fire team of guys to cover it up, a platoon of guys to cover it up. These are guys that are like, within that so go back in your mind to last night when he's going through the hill country the border country with the philistine uh, um outlined uh, uh villages those men that he's fighting with he has a group of those guys murdered to cover his to cover his tracks with his adultery so he's stupid like he's he's diving to a place that we can't even imagine we all know the story so i'm not going to go into those details, but the end result is that ultimately the last third of David's life is constant chaos and catastrophe. He simply doesn't finish well. At, at one point, the prophet comes to him and says, here's the result and the consequences of your actions. There's going to be, the sword's not going to depart from your house. Your family's not going to have peace. You're going to live, the, live out your days with conflict surrounding you from within. One of your sons is going to sleep with your wives in public, literally in a perverse uh, move that, that was common when one king was usurping the authority of another king. One of your sons is going to do that to you. So what are the lessons we learned from David's life? Here's, this is what I want to get to at this point in the weekend. I want to walk through this a lengthy bullet point list. We're 11 minutes into this thing. If you give me about 15 minutes, I want to walk through this bullet point list. 
What are the lessons we learned? First lesson, and I'm not going to number them. I just got them bullet pointed. Surround yourself with men who love you enough to speak the truth when it comes to your personal holiness. Surround yourself with men who love you enough to speak the truth when it comes to your personal holiness. I'll go slow enough in case there's one you want to write down. But again, we'll make these available. Next, cultivate relationships with those men so that you can trust those men. Because there's, there's, there there's a depth of relationship that's needed for me to trust somebody at that level. Like there, if somebody comes up to me, okay, let me give you a scenario. Guy, like most guys, we do not like to talk about our feelings. Like I don't, I don't want to talk about my feelings. I don't, want, I don't like that. And I'm not getting ready to say that you need to do that. You, you don't need to talk about your feelings. You make people uncomfortable. But you should have an inner circle, even one dude, that there's really no secrets between you and that guy. Then you're not just talking about your feelings. You're talking about your sin and the depravity of your own heart and the struggles that you face on a day-to-day basis. We need that, and, the, and that is biblical. Like You'll see this in Scripture that there's a need for, we call it, we have words for it like accountability or the, 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 the proverb that says iron sharpens iron. One brother sharpens another brother, like iron sharpens iron. There's a need for that level of companionship and friendship. But a lot of times, y'all, we don't have that in the church. Like in the church, on a Sunday morning, most Christians are just consumer Christians. They're just there to do, they're there the same way they go to Starbucks or Chick-fil-A to just consume a product, get their, get their product and go home. But when it comes to the body of Christ, we're, we're called to enter into relationships of depth and meaning. And so I need guys that are going to confront me, call me out, hit me. What, uh, man, I, the Lord opened up a cool friendship for me a few years ago with a guy that's here right now. Some of y'all a bunch of y'all have told me you've been listening to the podcast. Thank you. Because we started that thing. We don't have a, we still don't know what we're doing. I just turn the microphone on and start talking. And a lot of times it's like a train wreck. But I've had a lot of guys say, man, I'm enjoying the podcast. But, but you've heard me talk about a guy named uh, Jason George. He has a podcast called The Grizz Podcast. And then he's, he's uh, had me on his podcast. And he's here right now. He's here at this event this weekend. But it's the craziest thing. He'll send me a text. And it'll be like, the timing's always impressive, like struggling with, a, with, with, with you know, maybe with a, a thought that's not godly or an attitude that's not godly or, or just not walking with Jesus the way I need to be. And it'll be like the text comes in. I got a few buddies that'll do that. But Jay's really good about doing that. And, and we don't even know each other that great. But there's this depth of, of spiritual friendship. You know what I'm saying? We need that. So maybe you need to go outside of your inner circle even and find somebody. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a, a, a network of guys right around me that, like, basically we're really transparent and live in sort of glass houses, man. We see each other. But guys like to hold stuff in and hide stuff, and that's not healthy. But I'm not saying you need to talk about your feelings. Nothing, I'm telling you, man, nothing makes me more uncomfortable than when a dude's talking to me and he gets real emotional and he's crying and he's like, talking about his feelings, and it feels like too much for our relationship to bear. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, nah, man, me and you ain't, that, ain't like that. <laughs> you don't have to be like that with everybody. And I may, be, I may be way out of line, So, but that's just how I feel about it. But, like, but there's a need to have some relationships that do go to that depth. We need that. So it's critical that we have it and then that we give each other that latitude and we cultivate those relationships. Next, keep your eyes on Jesus every single day. There are no days off. Like you don't get days off. You don't get cheat days. 
Like, I mean, I've been really good for six days. I worship Jesus, read my Bible. Today, I'm going to look at porn. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to look at porn and eat donuts all day. I get it. This is a cheat day. No, like that's not the way it works. Like we don't, we don't build up like porn points. <laughs> Protect the responsibility, authority, and power that you have as a man. Protect the responsibility, authority, and power that you have as a man. Keep that and surrender to Jesus or you will force others to surrender to your will. Read that again. That's a little bit, it's a little bit heavy. Protect the responsibility, authority, and power that you have as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a business owner, as an employer, whatever that looks like, as a pastor. Keep that authority that God's given you and surrender to Jesus. So I'm in a position of authority over my family or, or in, in my workplace. I need to have surrender to Jesus that balances and humbles that. Otherwise, I'll just force people to surrender to my demands and my whims. David got to that point, by the way. Be aware of the human, uh, human tendency for self-indulgence. Be aware of the human tendency for self-indulgence. We will convince ourselves that we deserve something when the fact that we are the recipients of God's grace is more than we could ever deserve. What we deserve is condemnation. What we have received is salvation. Unearned, unpurchased by our own blood, purchased by the blood of Jesus. Be aware of the human tendency for self-indulgence. Be aware of your influence. Are you using your gifts, your position, your influence to advance the cause of Christ and make much of Jesus or to make much of yourself? Be aware of your influence. Do I have to be the center of attention? Do I have to take over the conversation? Or on the flip side, do I shrink into the shadows and not use the platforms God's given me to advance the name of Jesus? Be aware of your influence. Make sure you're spending time daily with the Lord, but also take large chunks of time each week. A daily time of prayer and reading is good, but to carve out a three or four hour window once a week for solitude and time with Jesus is critical. At least once a week, I'm getting a four hour block of time and I'm disappearing. No phone, no service have even had the phone. I'm fortunate to live in the mountains. It's a rural, rural area. All I got to do is go up the mountain and then the phone doesn't work and disappear. I'm like, I tell, the baby, I tell my baby's mama, I'm out. I'll disappear. I'm going into the mountains. I'll be out sometime today or tomorrow or whenever and just go. Solitude. Jesus did this. Jesus did this. He did this and he rested and he would go and have spiritual, spiritual rest. And so we need that, like, like not just my daily quiet time, but I need to get away. And, and it's important. Some of this stuff, it's important. Like even I appreciated when Spencer was doing the how to study the Bible thing this morning and how to, how to lead your family with the scripture at one point, he said, three nights a week, they have a 30-minute family devotion. That don't work for my family. That don't work for your family. But I appreciate that what he was saying is there's a principle here that what works for my family may not work for your family, but the principle has to work for your family. I really appreciated that. And it, it was refreshing for me to hear that again that, hey, here's, here's, here's what one guy's doing, but we don't have, it's not all prescriptive. We have to prescribe to you how to do this, but it's critical that you figure it out. You're a man. Figure it the heck out. Like, what do I got to do to spend time with Jesus, spend time with my family, spend time with the Lord? Prepare to finish strong. No one ever drifts toward holiness. But you will drift away from God by doing nothing more than relaxing your spiritual pursuit. Prepare to finish strong. No one ever drifts towards holiness. You don't drift towards holiness, but you will quickly drift away. Live 
with a wartime mentality. We were at war for our holiness and for the lives of those around us. David, David lost his wartime mentality. Understand the need for balance in your life. When things are out of balance in the world, bad stuff happens. There needs to be balance. If I'm going if, if, if to work, 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 there needs to be a time for recreation and play and, and leisure and, and, and sport or, or family time, whatever it is. There needs to be a balance in everything that I do. If I, if, if I don't keep my life in balance, then I'll get out of balance one way or the other, and that always leads to destructive tendencies. Grace and forgiveness extended to a believer do not mean, does not mean that consequences are removed. The consequences for David, even though God forgives him in his repentance over the sins he commits in 2 Samuel 11, are that those consequences last for the rest of his life. You may have to live with some consequences from past actions. That doesn't mean God hasn't forgiven you and that the grace of God isn't real in your life. God's grace that forgives you will also sustain your life as you live out those consequences. So as you're living out the consequences of your actions, recognizing that God has given you, I mean, I mean, David's, David's, in, in, okay, in David's house or in his lineage, this house that the covenant, you know, the covenant promise of a house that God's going to build for him, this kingdom, children rape and murder each other. One of his sons sleeps with his concubines in front of everyone in the kingdom. It's a, as perverse and pornographic at the most debased level. The final scene in David's life is that of a decrepit old man lying in bed with a teenage girl. He didn't finish strong. A sense of entitlement will destroy you. A sense of entitlement will destroy you. I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve a break. I've worked hard. There is no place for a sense of entitlement in the life of a man of God. Next, slow down. Pump the brakes. Slow down. Life's going to come and go. We've got to slow down. Care about others more than you care about yourself, but care about your own holiness more than you care about anything else. Care about others more than you care about yourself, but care about your own holiness more than you care about anything else. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And the last thing that David teaches us that I want to point out, and there's, a, there's, there's so much more that he teaches us, but repentance occurs when we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, but repentance should become a pattern in our lives. So when I receive Christ, I, the scripture is real clear in the gospel that when I receive the gift of salvation, I receive that through faith and through repentance. Faith is putting, putting my trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That when Jesus hung on the cross and said, Tetelestai, the root word of Tetelestai is completion, fulfillment. He's done the work. It's finished. There's nothing to be added to it. So putting my faith and my trust in the finished work Look into Jesus as the author and the perfecter of my faith. So you'll see this word come like threaded through gospel narrative and, and, and gospel conversation where when Jesus is on the cross and he says to telestai, the, the root word of that is teleos, which means complete or fulfill or bring to like, like to literally gratify. Then you'll see that word pop up in other places in scripture. For instance, we referenced this earlier in Romans 10, 4, it says that Jesus is the end of the law. 
the teleos, the completion. He fulfills and brings to completion the law. So when he's hanging out on the cross and he says it's finished, the law and its demands are finished in terms of authority and power over our lives. We're in a new covenant. He also then will warn us through Paul's letter that if we, he says this, live by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So live by the spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. That, that word carry out or gratify is the same word. Bring to fulfillment or completion. So when I'm walking by the Spirit, I won't carry to completion the desires of the flesh. Does that mean I, if I'm walking by the Spirit, I will never sin? No, I don't think it doesn't mean that. When you read and study Galatians 5.16, the idea is that what Paul tells the Romans in Romans chapter 8, sin will no longer have dominion over you. You don't have to live under dominion. Like you don't have to live under dominion. But so how does how's that a reality? Repentance is when I turn to the finished work of Jesus and re, and receive what he has for me, which is salvation, but then repentance is what I begin to walk in. So repentance literally in its rawest like definition is a turning away from something. So re, to repent of my sin is to turn away from my sin. We see David do that in the deal with Bathsheba. But then repentance for a believer is that the rest of my life, I'm constantly turning away, constantly turning away, constantly turning away. I'm turning away and pursuing Christ. I'm turning away and pursuing holiness. I'm turning away and pursuing what God has for me. I'm walking and living a life of repentance. So repentance is not a one-time deal or it's not when I really screw up, then I got to apologize to Jesus. Repentance is a pattern of life whereby I'm turning, 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 constantly and continually walking in repentance, the fruit of repentance evident in my life. We, we walk in repentance and the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of re repentance. This is the idea that is constant in a pattern of the believer's life and this is what David stopped doing. But you see moments of it. And when you see those moments, you see this beautiful fellowship with him and God. For us, we not only turn to God in repentance for salvation, we continually walk in repentance. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We recognize that he's the author of our faith. And if he completed the mission of going to the cross and dying in our place, he will complete the mission of bringing you into glory. He's the one that saves you. He's the one that's going to complete the work. We, we got to surrender to him, recognizing that recognizing that let's learn from david let's pray thanks for listening we hope this has encouraged you in your walk with christ be sure to give us a rating and review and for more snowbird content check out our other podcast no sanity required